Hello, listeners. Matt here. Hey, are you Pottern Family? Go on Twitter and search the hashtag Pottern Family or follow at Pottern Family to find a bevy of great podcasts, including this one. That's hashtag Pottern Family or at Pottern Family on Twitter. By the way, spoiler alert, this podcast will be talking about the most recent episode of the show that it covers. So if you're not caught up, come back when you are if you don't want to be spoiled. Don't worry, we'll be here waiting. Dedicated to the DC Arrowverse on the CW Network. It's Save This City. A Flash and Arrow podcast. And now here's your host, Matt Murdick. Hey, and welcome to Save This City Podcast. It's episode 23 of the podcast where we're covering last week's episodes, The Flash, season 2, episode 16, Trajectory, Arrow, season 4, episode 16, Broken Hearts, and Supergirl, season 1, episode 17, Manhunter. And I apologize uh, because uh, this podcast is coming out later than normal. Normally, I try to get this kind of podcast out on a Friday. Couldn't do it this week due to my touring schedule, but uh, I'm recording early. Let's see, 6.35 a.m. on a Sunday morning to get this podcast out to you. Uh, my name is Matt Murdick, by the way, and I am from SaveThisCityPodcast.wordpress.com. That's your one-stop shop for all things this podcast. All of our back episodes can be found there our social media and contact links, and I'd appreciate it if you want to reach out to me with any feedback regarding any of these episodes or about the podcast itself, feel free to do so. You can also let me know what you think of this podcast by following our podcatcher links uh, to whatever podcatcher app you use. We have links for iTunes and Stitcher at the website. Uh, And if you leave a written review saying, you know, what this show can do to improve or not improve, I would very much appreciate it. Also, um, there's a lot of podcasts covering superheroes out there, so it helps me stay more noticeable. I'm not going to pretend like uh, I don't need your reviews for that as well. But uh, the main reason I like to get reviews is so that I can try and improve the show. And uh, if you have any feedback, um, if you don't want to leave a review uh, to tell me about what you think about the podcast, feel free to send an email to savethecitypodcast at gmail.com. Or you can follow me on Twitter or just tweet at me on Twitter at Save This City Pod. Or you can call the listener line, which is 314-669-1840 and leave a voicemail. And any feedback you leave, I'll be happy to play on this podcast so that the rest of my listeners can hear what you have to say about these great shows or about this podcast. That is it for the podcast, so let's get to talking about these episodes and... I guess I will actually start with Supergirl, since it came out on the Monday, since we last talked to each other. We'll start with that one. That is Season 1, Episode 17, Manhunter. It was written by Derek Simon, um, Cindy Lightman, and Rachel Schuchert, and it was directed by Chris Fisher. And while I like the idea uh, of using like the flashbacks to it, explore the John Jones character. I have to say that I really didn't find the execution of them to live up to my expectations. I mean, I think there are some things that I could really, really nitpick about them, like Danvers, 
himself. I mean, come on. You, you can't even run away from a snake. It's not like the snake was moving that fast. And it actually probably would have paid you no mind at all if you'd have just gotten up and walked away, let alone run. Even if you did hurt your foot, you probably could have hobbled away faster than that damn thing could catch you. And then you're having to build a fire to keep from freezing to death in a jungle, a jungle that lets snakes as big as that live there. That doesn't make any sense at all. And I guess finally the whole relationship that John Jones has cultivated with Alex and Kara is, is based on Danvers here asking him to take care of his girls. But even that seemed really unearned to me all because John Jones you know, was there because John Jones knew or had daughters of his own at one time. I mean, they still barely knew each other. And yet this guy Danvers is saying to John Jones, well, please take care of my daughters. I I just think that that's really a stretch. And I didn't even realize that Danvers had been hurt until that very last shot when you saw the knife sticking out of him. It wasn't indicated in anything until that moment. It just it all seemed shoddily put together. Um, I love the idea of John Jones and Danvers having a friendship. I just wish that they'd have done a better job of executing it, I guess is what I'm going to say. Now, as for Alex's flashback, her flashback was actually really good, in my opinion, except for this nitpick. They tried to make Shiler Lee look younger by giving her longer hair. And I've never, ever seen flashback episodes uh, lost wherever where that works. Um, usually it makes the character look older rather than younger. And that's a very mild nitpick as compared to the nitpicks I had about the John Jones recounting the stuff with her father, of course. But the main thing you get from this flashback is is really not related to John Jones at all, in my opinion. I mean, he was very perceptive about Alex's feelings about Kara and, and how that made Alex feel inadequate. And that was one of the truths that Alex and Kara were talking about more or less indirectly after Kara had been revived from the red kryptonite effects. And I thought it was great that they followed through with that a little bit, that we saw the origin of why Alex might have said uh, during the Red Kryptonite, the, the falling episode, why she might have said, well, there's some truth to that. And, and we saw some of that truth revealed in Alex's flashback. I just hope we don't get too many flashbacks of Alex at that age in the future unless they try to do a different look for her because that really didn't work. But that, again, that's my only real nitpick about it. Fortunately, instead of going down that younger path with, with Kara, they, they didn't do it. They just brought in the actress who'd played her as a little girl. Um, and I get the whole fit-in metaphor used for that sequence. I have to say, though, that it really didn't make me any more invested in Kara emotionally or plot-wise. But there were still some fun moments in it. I mean, m- mostly at the interview, I think, with Cat Grant. Um, there was some nice levity there, and, and I did like the idea that Danvers came up with when she was a child about the whole lead-lined glasses frames uh, and the way that helped Kara adjust. I liked how they showed her trying to adjust to just things like that in school. Again, very Man of Steel 
like. It's again, I, I think Warner Brothers is, is trying to kind of keep a certain amount of consistency between their television franchise and their movie franchise. And, you know, when they went to her putting those glasses on and then coming out with uh, her still having those same glasses on when she's older, uh, that was great. Um, that was a, a nice tie between Kara and her adopted father. Now, as far as the present day stuff, while the interrogations were what kind of inspired the flashbacks, the only real surprises about the interrogations was the fact that Lucy was back and that she was so perceptive about Alex lying. I mean, she was pretty specific about what she thought Alex was lying about, and I'm not exactly sure how she knew. Did I miss something? Did Alex say something to Lucy at one point? Um, I didn't think so. I'd, ha I'd have to go back and look at it all. Anyway, I had made a prediction, uh, I think, just a while back that some kind of quasi-bad good guy would be taking over the DEO. So I was definitely wrong about that. We've got Lucy now in charge of the DEO. Of course, way on, I had predicted that Alex's father was still alive. So I write about that one as we get from the end of the episode. Um, and I have to say that the Lucy and Kara, you know, thing, they they kind of seem to have at least for temporarily buried the hatchet. That might have also been for the convenience of story, too, because it doesn't really seem all that character arc-oriented. But anyway, I, I hope that Lucy does well as the head of the DEO. That one agent that was uh, helping Kara out to listen in and stuff, that was great. And she was the first one to welcome Lucy in, so that's great too. There may be some kind of temporary harmony at the DEO for the moment, um, at least uh, until Lucy gets into the transition. And uh, I did love the the biker Kara and, and Lucy saving the day for Alex and John Jones. As for Alex and, and John Jones, of course, they're off to go look for Daddy now that they know that he's alive. So that's a good way for the show to write them out of next week's storyline because they have to make room for the appearance of Flash, uh, which will be coming out. I, I'm guessing you're probably going to get this on Monday morning, so it'll be coming out tonight. Be sure to watch the Flash Supergirl crossover app. That should be fun. That's as good a reason as they have to be gone, if they're going to be gone at all. Um, though. I guess, again, let me just nitpick for just a second. I mean, while Kara and Lucy are doing all of this with this truck, there's not a single car of traffic that comes by. Uh, <laughs> not to mention that, I guess, when they were loading him into the truck, did they, did they, because it was like a long time between Hank getting loaded away or taken away and Alex getting taken away. And then you have to think about Kara getting back to Lucy uh, and to, to talk to James and Lucy, and then they have to catch back up to the truck. Um, did it just leave Hank sitting in the truck until they got done with Alex and then put Alex in the truck and then waited around 20 more minutes and then took off? I, I don't know. It just doesn't seem all that feasible that, that Cara and Lucy would have caught up to them even on motorcycles. Um, and how would they have gotten the route? Would Lucy have known that? Probably Lucy would have known that. I, I can excuse that. Well, I'm just full of nitpicks today, aren't I? Um, there wasn't a whole lot for James in this ep since I mentioned uh, Karin and, and Lucy coming back, which I, I think was a good thing because the way he was in the prior ep, I, I was really surprised that he wanted would help Kara at all. Um, maybe just because Lucy was involved. Maybe that's what sparked his interest. Who knows? But 
I guess someone had to take a back seat in this episode and kind of be the exposition guy as well with the the knowledge about Cadmus. It just definitely doesn't sound very alien-friendly, does it? Uh, and if Superman hates it, then of course we all should hate it. And um, that Harper character, I, I don't know. He he wasn't really even that much worth mentioning except to say that he was. He seemed much more like just a caricature of ego and ignorance and, um, I don't know, uh, xenocism? What, what do you say when you're against other species, not other races? I guess you could say racism, but I, I don't know. Xenocism? I don't know what you'd call it. Um, let's go to, actually, Shibun. I'd hoped that we would kind of get more of an origin story from her this week, but instead we just get kind of the reveal of her screaming power. And that whole, I just want to scream before she fell off the roof, that was a good setup, I suppose, for, for if you like the cheesy comic kind of stuff. And, and now we'll know her as the Banshee from now on, screaming like a Banshee. Or, you know, we will soon. She'll reveal herself, I think, next week, or rather this week. But... This isn't obviously an origin story. It's just that since it popped up out of nowhere with no real explanation. But I I suppose you might suspect that she might not have been aware of her powers up until now, perhaps. But as far as Shabon goes, I mean, otherwise, I mean, that one drop of sympathy that I felt for her in the falling episode, you know, when she got fired... That was pretty much eliminated when she went to Kara's desk and wrote that email. So, done with that. Um, so, now she's just a bad person. We'll have to see how well she uses that screaming power and what other powers she might have. Again, I think she's appearing in the Flash Supergirl crossover episode, uh, which will be coming out Monday night or tonight or whenever you get in this podcast. And... I guess the the one cool thing about the whole Shabon stuff is, is that ruse that Kat did go through to get her back into the office to admonish her. And that was really great. Um, Kat was pretty good this week. She was a little one-dimensional, but at least it was the dimension that we know is kind of true to Kat Grant's character. Not something off on some weird tangent like when she suddenly just seemed to go completely stupid for a couple of episodes earlier this season. I also like that look that she exchanged with James uh, in order to get him to answer the phone and then that gleeful look of, of, you know, having power when he actually did pick the phone up. That was great. That's Cat Grant. Love that. All in all, the premise of this episode was absolutely fantastic. I wanted to know about the Manhunter story. But in, in my opinion, really, uh, the the execution of the episode was fairly flawed. I do want to see, of course, where the Jeremiah Davers story goes. I do want to see where the Shibon and, and the Banshee story goes. I suspect we'll have to wait on the Danvers stuff. I think that the, the Banshee stuff is coming sooner. Um, there were a couple of, you know, pretty fun moments in this episode, but I, I think the things that were actually supposed to be poignant in this episode, they actually kind of fell pretty flat for me. So... Um, while I wasn't totally disappointed in this episode, I can't really go above a 7. I'll just go straight 7 for that. And with that, why don't we go to uh, the Tuesday episode of last week. And that was The Flash, Season 2, Episode 16, Trajectory, written by Lauren Serto and 
Lila Vanderberg and directed by Glenn Winter, who's the most working director in these franchises, I think, of all of them. One of them, anyway. Gotta go straight to the end. I mean, between the blue lightning that Trajectory gave off before evaporating and, and, and Cisco's vibing, the team now, of course, realizes that Jay is Zoom, something that we already knew, of course. Again, have no idea on how Jay can be dead and Zoom unless time travel is somehow involved. And I have to say that in the, the previously and in Cisco's vibe, I, I tried to look at any indication of Zoom Jay looking any younger than the Jay that we had on Earth One. And yeah, maybe he does look a little younger uh, in the Zoom outfit, but that could just be the outfit. I don't know. What I do know is that whole lame, we've seen a speedster be in two places at once from Barry, that didn't work for me as a complete explanation. I mean, we definitely need more detail. And if you really want just another rehash of a, a mentor suddenly becomes your greatest enemy to date, I mean, we, we had that last year. I mean, if maybe if you were on year four or five of the show, then you could make an excuse for the fact that you're recycling something. But not just your second year out of the gate. Unless it's just supposed to be some kind of building metaphor for the whole series that they would go with every year. Once you get to that, then I don't know what the point would be of building a mystery as to who the bad guy is. So I, I don't know about that. The other thing that actually really didn't work for me was... Barry just running off and screaming to the sky. <laughs> it was way, way, way too over-the-top cheesy. Sorry. And since we're we're going to get to the Flash Supergirl crossover on Monday, I, I was just hoping that we might see him say that he needed to, like, get away for a while or something. You know, maybe head to National City. Um, but instead, we just have him going back to the place where he failed to make the jump before and screaming. So, kind of a boo for the ending. Just boo. I think a more fitting ending would have actually been to follow Caitlin's reactions in more detail, rather than Barry's. Because she, she still seemed a little bit in denial. But to see all of that sink in on her, I think that would have been a, a more pleasing and from a dramatic sense. Um, certainly a lot less cheesy. Especially... Since it seems like to me that out of anybody on this team, she was the one who was most invested in Jay, um, or at very least spent the most time with him. So I just don't understand why they tailed away from trying to follow up that end of the story at the end. And it is Caitlin who is kind of the source of our villain this week, of course, Trajectory. While I, I felt the whole Gollum thing was a little bit over the top, you know, the looking into the glass and seeing your evil self looking back at you. Uh, I actually appreciate the performance of the character for the most part. Um, she, she reversed engineered the Velocity 9 with good intentions, right, to help her work faster. But the addiction was just uh, too much for her, I guess. And the whole pin shot for creating chaos just for the sake of creating it, that to me is very old school you know, comic book villain, which uh, even I can appreciate given my limited reading of, of comics. I think to me, Trajectory just had enough 
sadistic sass to keep me interested, but not quite of enough of a real impact for me to ever truly fear her either throughout the course of the episode. At, at least Trajectory Surfacing did manage to bring some of the closer-kept secrets about the Velocity 9 out from uh, Caitlin and Wells. And, uh, of course, her demise led the team to the discovering about Jay. So, as a function for the larger story, I guess she's kind of served her purpose. Speaking of secrets, finally we have Barry and Iris talking about their future marriage on their own planet not just about being married on Earth 2. And given the extreme differences between the peoples on Earth 2 and Earth 1, um, you would think that Barry, at very least, should seriously consider that marriage is just in the cards for both of them, and they should give it a shot and see. But no, 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 CW mandate strikes again. The whole bit with this editor towards the end. I mean, are you kidding me? I don't even... It just seems totally implausible why Iris would even have an interest in this guy. And yet that's what the show was trying to tell us at the end there. I mean, if you're you're going to do this, then why have Patty go away? I I just kind of wanted to throttle the writers... For, for tormenting viewers with something that they could really care less about. But I, I guess Barry really probably has his own thing going on right now. He doesn't really need the distraction of another love uh, getting in his way. But with all of his attempts at getting faster, training harder, all of that, I mean, parts of this episode nearly devolved into almost kind of a very special episode about steroids use, more or less. Uh, well, allegorically speaking, anyway. And between Trajectory's addiction and, and him asking why he shouldn't take the competitive edge since everybody else is, I mean, it did dangle really close to becoming that very special episode. But fortunately, at least for me, it didn't quite get there. And I think that was mostly due to the little kind of moral of the story thing given by Wells, which didn't seem nearly as very special episode. Um making it about being a real hero who doesn't compromise their own values. uh, That's something that Wells, of course, admits he hasn't been able to do is to compromise, you know, to keep from compromising himself, but he's urging Barry to be better. That saved it because they did couple that with Wells's own issues with Jesse and the darkness that I think that he's been willing to embrace just to save and protect his daughter. Now, Jesse, some of their moments with her and Wells uh, in regards to her finding out more and finding about the things that he had done were really good. And I still have a hard time really blaming Wells for for doing those things. But Jesse did inspire me to look beyond the measure of her own life and the effect really that his darkness could have had on many, many, many more lives. I mean, I, I thought all of that was really well done. And Tom Cavanaugh, man, he's just great in all his scenes. And actually, Violet Bean, uh, she was able to keep up with him just fine, too. So good job for the actors. And, and that was kind of the best part of the episode for me. Now, as Donald and Camille and I discussed in a, in a recent podcast, we asked if the Velocity 9 would be a way to give Jesse 
who we think will be Jesse Quick from the comics, if that would be the way to give her superpowers. Well, she got injected with the Velocity 9 for certain, um, and now she's going to be leaving town for Opal City, which is another DC town that has actually been mentioned in Supergirl before. Uh, I think it's where Cat Grant's son is from. I guess it's possible still, though, while she's away, that she could find that her Velocity 9... Uh, injection didn't get completely eliminated. Maybe the fact that her system got flushed by her dad's blood, that maybe that there were still some remnants of the, of the V nine um, that would create a, a more lasting effect and, and maybe less volatile. Um, like, you know, maybe there's some kind of uh, a smaller amount would uh, not give her the powers immediately, but um, maybe affect her DNA just enough to where she develops the powers on her own. I mean, I'm just speculating how they could make Jesse into Jesse quick. Now it's pure speculation. I have no idea. Um, but we'll have to see if they even go that route or if the injection was just to, uh, give us all a, a nice little red herring. And, there were there were a couple of light moments in this quote unquote very special episode as well. Um, seeing everyone blow off a little steam that at the beginning that was pretty fantastic. I'll tell you what, I wish I had those dance moves that Cisco has. <laughs> uh, even at the beginning with the the whole evil Knievel references, that was nice, and and the whole drones thing, um, and a little bit of fluff is never harmful to this particular superhero show. They, they do the fluff pretty well and Cisco's usually pretty great at it. So uh, good for Carlos. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of Joe this week and, and the Wally appearance that just seemed to be jammed in there to get the actor in the episode. Though, I guess I do have a question because it, it was a little confusing to me. Was the watch that Wells gave Jesse a, meta detector watch is that why it kept going off and if so i don't understand why it wasn't going off all of the time if barry was around um did they limit the range of it because i mean the very first time we saw that used was in star labs on earth too and wells was standing oh at least 300 feet away from where the meta human showed up when it went off so I, I just don't get, have they limited the range? And and the other question that I had, and this is more of a question than a nitpick, but it it almost seemed like that any time, well, it did happen when she moved her arm towards Barry, but it also seemed like it happened when she moved her arm towards Wally as well. And I was that some kind of subtle hint about the whole Wally West thing? Um, or was I just imagining that? I don't I don't know. Why don't you let me know what you think? Save the city podcast at gmail dot com or you can tweet at Save the City Pod or you can call three one four six six nine one eight four zero. And I guess that's all I've got for the flash stuff except for my rating. And while I didn't find trajectory offensive by any stretch as a character, I wasn't really all that knocked out by her either. And I feel like the drama of the reveal to the to the gang that her character kind of facilitated um i thought that that was a, a little bit misplayed um maybe even grossly so in terms of their reaction again barry running off to a canyon and screaming to the sky come on 
I did like the Jesse and Harry stuff. That was great. The visual effects, obviously, more than acceptable. That's nothing new. Uh, I really like that shot of Barry when he was trying to cut off trajectory and they had that collision where he went toppling over the car. The bridge stuff was all fine. Um, Not sure that I could even place this episode in the top 10 for the season. You know, we've only had 16. Uh, I don't think it even fits in there. Um, I'm going to go like a, a, I don't even know, somewhere between a 7 and a 7.5 on the 10 scale. Um, Let's say 7.3. And that's all I've got on Flash. So let's go to Arrow. That's Season 4, Episode 16, Broken Hearts. Written by Rebecca Bellato and Nolan Dunbar. And directed by John Showalter. Why don't we start with the part of the episode that I thought was the best? And no, I'm not talking about the tearing out of our hearts. Though there there was a couple of good moments in that as well. I'll talk about that in a little bit. But I'm actually talking about the Lances and their pursuit of justice for Damien Dark. I think it was great to see Laurel, you know, doing her day job and not giving some kind of high-pitched, fairly ineffective scream. (laughs) And it actually showed her doing her job, not drinking, not taking pills, not blaming someone else for her own problems. I mean, this may be the first time since season one that I can recall where Laurel was actually being effective as an attorney. And while this episode probably would have been boarded out a long time before the recent success of like that O.J. Simpson trial show or whatever that I've never watched... Um, there, there would have been no indication of its success yet. Um, it is kind of fortuitous, uh, in a really positive way that they did have a setting like this, uh, that took up a good portion of their episode, because I'm sure that just having shots of the courtroom made maybe some surfers, some channel surfers, at least stop and, and take a look for a second. Also, the courtroom was a really good way to demonstrate the power that Damien Dark has, even when he doesn't have his quote-unquote mystical powers. I mean, look at just what they've managed to do in terms of paperwork, a new name, a new place of origin. Now, I, I thought that that defense attorney was portrayed probably just a little bit too over-the-top slime ball in the episode. Um, but the whole premise of of dark having that kind of power that was pretty daunting and even the thing about the fact that the best testimony that could have been given can't actually be given i mean everybody's grappling with the fact that the secret life that they lead in order to bring in criminals it kind of keeps them from putting them away for good i wonder how many times laurel has actually persecuted criminals that if she could call herself as a witness would make her job a heck of a lot easier (laughs) Uh, Then you got Papa Lance, and he's stepping up to do his due diligence in the name of justice. And I thought Paul Blackthorne did a really good job. He gave a good performance of being a guy who's having to face kind of the painful reality of his past mistakes. I mean, I'm not going to use the now, boy, extremely tired catchphrase that seems like every media outlet in the world is using to describe him in reviews, you know, that whole falling on a sword thing. But he did make a great professional, and with the possibility of jail time, a a personal sacrifice. And that's not even to mention that he even admitted on the stand that 
This could cost him his life. And the father-daughter dynamic has, has been a little bit better this year. Um, I love that Laurel wanted to protect him, wanted him not to have to testify. Um, but at the same time, she finally accepted that it was the only way that it could get done. I mean, she managed to distance herself uh, from obviously personal feelings in order to keep uh, Dark at least put away for now. But you have to think, at what cost? I mean, we have that whole looming flash-forward thing, and I, I think now, because of tonight's episode, I've narrowed it down to three really strong candidates, two of which have the same last name, and the third, we might have wondered if they wouldn't have the last same name eventually as well. Uh, but of course, first I'm talking about Captain Lance, although, you know, he seems like the biggest red herring. Number one, they've kind of made an attempt on his life already. Number two, he's given the testimony that kept Dark in jail. Uh, again, for now, anyway. And three, he he knows and even states himself that it could cost his life. Um, there's a fourth reason probably eliminate him from this list as well but since he would be a, a an obvious target they tried to make him into a target i have to include him but the the fourth reason would be is that he's likely to go under some kind of protective custody pending further court proceedings for dark right i would think so i don't think that would make him a very easy target or at least for a while and actually here's another reason why i don't think he's in the grave do you really think that his death would be something that would upset Felicity so much that she would call for Dark's death? I, I mean, the only way that I could think that would be possible if is if she was upset by the fact that her mother would be destroyed. Um, and that kind of brings me to number two. I still think that there's a possibility that Mama Smoke is in the grave. And here's why. If Dark can't get to Daddy Lance, then he would probably go after the people that Lance cared about most. And I know that Daddy Smoke and Mama Lance have been trying to keep it kind of on the down low, but do you seriously think they would have, be able to have enough secrecy to hide it from Dark or from Hive? I mean, that's kind of why Captain Lance tried to break up with Felicity's mom in the first place, right? In order to protect her? from dark and this would obviously make felicity really upset <laughs> you know if her mother got killed that would that would be the one person who you can easily see her being upset enough to ask oliver to end whoever did this but I, the truth of the matter is is there's a third person whose death would affect felicity this way and as camille recently said on this podcast Maybe we need to take a look at who hasn't had an attempt made on their life. And there's probably your victim. And regrettably, that brings me to number three, and that is Laurel herself. I do think that Felicity would be that upset about losing either Laurel or Thea or even Diggle, for that matter. But Dark really has no reason to go after either Thea or Diggle in terms of revenge for this trial. Because Diggle's testimony, even, it got pretty much blown up but he would have reason to target laurel because first 
He's already used her life as a chip to threaten Daddy Lance. And now that Daddy Lance has testified, it's time for some payback. And, and second, he might take her out even if she wasn't related to Captain Lance, just as revenge for the good job that she's doing prosecuting to keep him in prison. So, or, or at least awaiting trial. And with the appearance of that ring that he's now got with him in the cell, I mean, you can imagine that he's not going to be in prison for too much longer, or at least I don't think he will be. Um, so that does kind of set him up as a primary perpetrator. I do think, however, that we need to remind ourselves that he's not the only possible perpetrator here. I mean, let's not discount the possibility that the person that everybody wants to die is Malcolm Merlin. And if that's the case, then, you know, really all of this talk I've been doing about my three possibilities is kind of, you just erase the chalkboard and you start over. Um, but those are the three candidates that I think most likely if Damien is the person who has to be ended in the flash forwards. And if all of that isn't grim enough, <laughs> let's get to the, the kind of the continual heartbreak of this episode. I mean, first, just in the most lightest of moments, let me say that it was funny of the writers to have the Star City media even call Oliver and Felicity's relationship Elicity. You know, that was a nice way for the, the writers to pay homage to the fans whose hearts they were tearing out at the same time, at least. Uh, I, I thought Stephen and uh, Emily did just a great job using kind of that natural chemistry that they seem to have. But they used it to the opposite effect of what it usually brings us. Instead of like using it to give us what they want um, for their being together. Um, they used it really well to break our hearts by showing that, you know, love sometimes just isn't enough. And some of the talk during like that faux wedding ceremony, it might have been a little over the top. But personally, I think it it was kind of the payoff that was needed to sell it to us Olicity fans, of which I am one. But those speeches were really just kind of the punctuation mark. To me, the real story was the stuff that was kind of scattered throughout the episode, all of the awkwardness between them, the inability to contain remarks that pertain to them, uh, but was applying to what was going on around them, the feelings that were shown of them obviously being lost without the kind of uh, status quo or the usual status quo. And what comes out of all of that is yes. We're going to need a whole lot of time uh, if we're ever going to see them be together again. But the question that I love that it brings up is what happens to them in the meantime? I mean, Oliver's whole talk about darkness and light and everything, that made me worry about whether he can keep the promises that he's made even to himself uh, about, you know, not being so dark while he was with Felicity. And the thought of Felicity just going back to Palmer Tech and really doing nothing else to, like, help the team, that suggests a loss of purpose for her. So there's some really potentially great character moments uh, coming for these guys in, in the wake of it. But I guess it will depend on whether the writers feel they have enough time to explore that so late in the season. Um and yes, my heart is obviously even more broken than it was before, uh, but I'll just hope that it leads to better things down the line. 
something the the writers didn't obviously take the time to explore this particular episode was uh, the villain coupled with the story this week. And and don't get me wrong, I really don't think Cupid is stupid, uh, as a character anyway. In fact, I, I love her over-the-top style, and I, I've enjoyed all of her prior appearances. But in the face of some of this more serious stuff going on in this episode... I mean, her story just kind of stood out as jolting as, you know, if you just ran through a whole street full of potholes. I would like to see that character come back sometime if possible, and and hopefully they redeem her a little bit. Um, And the only way they're going to be able to do that is if they have a better fit for a character than just this whole kind of broken heart tie. Um, Not to mention her victims. I mean, really all that did was give Willa Holland a a couple of cute moments of being one of those kind of, what do you call them, Kardashian fan types. Which, you know, for whatever reason, that actually worked better um, than the way Cupid did in this episode. So, I don't know. Then you have the flashbacks. And I I guess the thing to say mostly is I haven't compared screenshots or anything, but... I, I, I was that totem the same one that Dark had that gave him powers? I mean, I wouldn't think so because in the earlier episode where Team Arrow and, and Vixen uh, caught Dark, you would think that Oliver would have recognized um, that totem. So if it's not the same totem, then how many totems are out there in the world? I mean, it's almost like the writers have, have thrown out the Lazarus pit to eliminate one reset button, and now they've put another reset button in with all of these totems also that dark can probably get a power up somehow Uh, that's my take on it anyway and then you have the rest of the flashbacks which were minimal at best oliver has guns him and his friend have guns woohoo um i actually would just kind of like the whole flashback thing to be over or at least compelling one way or the other is fine and that's my take on Arrow, I guess. The, the Cupid stuff was pretty weak, as well as the flashbacks, even though that's, again, pretty much par for the course these days. Um, the Elicity stuff was painful to endure all the feels, but, again, it was really well executed by Emily Bett Ricards and, and Stephen Amell. And the courtroom stuff was actually what worked best for me. Um, all in all, I, I give this week about a 79 I think, despite, you know, my elicity thing, you know, wanting me to say, well, the feels should make the episode better. Um, it didn't. It just made me hurt more. So that's why the lower rating, probably. And uh, I only have uh, one little piece of feedback here. Uh, I wanted to make sure to get that out this week because uh, Legends of Tomorrow returns on March 31st. And I wanted to make sure that at Michael underscore Aaron uh got his theory out there before uh, we get any reveal about it. Um, First of all, at Michael underscore Aaron says, I did not care at all for how Legends failed to address what Snart did or didn't do to Rory. Even the team, aside from Jax, acted as if it never happened. Talk about an elephant in the room. However, the fact that it wasn't addressed and Cronus did his random bi-weekly appearance made me think this. What if Kronos is Mick from the future out for revenge because of how they all abandoned him? I I don't know. 
I, I suppose it could be that way. I have no idea. That's, thanks for the thought. Again, that's at Michael underscore Aaron. He's one of the co-hosts of the Earth's Mightiest podcast. So be sure to check them out. And that's it for this week, folks. So be sure to uh, send me your thoughts. Uh, save the city podcast at gmail.com or at save the city pod. Or you can uh, call 314-669-1840. Not exactly sure when I'm going to get back to you. Um, I have to look and see what uh, Supergirl and Legends are doing in order to determine my schedule for reviews for this week. But uh, I will uh, get back to you as soon as I can with the most recent episodes and talking about them. Thanks again for listening. This is Matt. Take care. Find all back episodes and all contact links at SaveThisCityPodcast.wordpress.com. If you have feedback, you can leave a voicemail by calling 314-669-1840 or send email to SaveThisCityPodcast at gmail.com or tweet us at SaveThisCityPod. Please leave the podcast a written review on whatever app that you use.